Well, hey there, curious mind. Welcome to Endlessly Curious with Kellen Vaughn, your bite-sized weekly adventure into history, mysteries, and all things bizarre. I'm your host, Kellen Vaughn, and I will be your guide to the strange, funny, quirky, and uniquely fascinating. Join me as we dive into the rabbit hole of topics, from unraveling enigmatic history to exploring scientific depths, venturing into bizarre conspiracies, and taking a detour through spirituality. But here's the thing, we're going to do it all with a keen eye for the strange and a sprinkle of humor. So get ready for peculiar tales, odd science, and really insane conspiracy theories. So subscribe now for a quick, offbeat escape into the unusual every week with Endlessly Curious, the podcast where unique things take center stage. Alrighty, my friends, welcome to the very first episode of Endlessly Curious. I'm really just going to get right into it. Today, we are talking about how topless dancers helped save Seattle's Pioneer Square. It's a really interesting story. And um, what I'm going to do is start with a little bit of history behind the area and Pioneer Square, and then we'll move into the story of the go-go dancers. So, Buckle up, let's get started. First and foremost, I'd like to go ahead and start by citing my sources. I used historyhit.com, pioneersquare.org, and undergroundtour.com. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, she cited her sources. This girl's got it together. No, I don't. Okay. My sources may be wrong. I don't know. I just looked it up and went with what I found because these websites seemed pretty legit. That's it. So if I get anything wrong, don't blame me for not doing my research. Blame these websites for not doing their research. So with that, let's go ahead and talk about the history of Pioneer Square. So Pioneer Square is in what is now known as the city of Seattle. It's built on the ancestral land of the Coast Salish people. And in that area, there's a myriad of waterways that were used back in the day as a means of transportation, uh, travel, uh, fishing. I mean, what, what people use water for to this day. So anyway, Pioneer Square, was built on tide flats. I don't know what that means. I didn't look it up, but really the main point that we need to focus on here is there is a lot of water. Okay. That's really the main point. So in 1852, the Denny party settled in the area that would be Pioneer Square and they started the very first sawmill. Now I saw on, I think it was history hit that these people showed up and were like, damn, these fucking trees are huge. And that's what inspired them to start a sawmill. And I think that's pretty cool, you know. Um, (laughs) In the area, we do have local peoples. And one of those is Chief Seattle. Now, Chief Seattle was the leader of the Duwamish and Suquamish peoples in the area. And he seems like a really fascinating individual. So I might do an episode on him later. But he saw alliances with the new settlers that were coming to the area. So that went pretty darn well for about four years. 
until 1856 when the Battle of Seattle happened. Now, the Battle of Seattle was a skirmish between the settlers and the indigenous people that, um, how do I put this? It resulted in the uh, Native American people uh, being banned from the city of Seattle by the very first city council. So there's that. It's not always a fun history, but it is always an interesting one. So in 1856 and beyond, they started to kind of move out of the area. Now, this doesn't really have any bearing on the rest of the story, but I thought it was an interesting little tidbit to share with you guys. So moving on from that, in 1889, a little while later, we have the Great Seattle Fire. Now, the Great Seattle Fire burned down a 30-block area, mostly downtown and Pioneer Square. So after the fire, the people were coming together and they're like, oh, how do we rebuild? Like, what do we do? And they made the very wise decision that maybe they shouldn't be building only with wood. So they went ahead and banned wooden structures. And then they decided that they were going to build essentially on top of Pioneer Square, about eight to 12 feet elevated from where it had been previously. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. One of them, there's a lot of water in the area. And so they wanted to kind of manage the flooding that would happen, but also for sanitation reasons. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear that word and your mind goes immediately to England, where back in the day, people would just throw their waste out into the street. And then for some reason, they thought that it was like, fairies or elves that were getting them sick like no no it's it, you're stepping in shit every day that's why you're getting sick hun so anyway they made a really good decision to separate themselves a little bit from the uh waste let's just put it that way so they did all of this rebuilding and then in 1897 the klondike gold rush happened now, the Klondike Gold Rush brought an estimated 100,000 people to the area. I don't know what kind of time frame we're looking at for that number, but it's a lot of people, right? Like, 100,000 was nothing to scoff at back in the day. I know now we have, like, these big metropolitan cities with, like, 5 million or 10 million or 100 million people in them, but that's not how things were back then. A big city was like 1,500 people or something. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, we had a huge economic boom happen because all of a sudden people were coming to Seattle to travel up to the Klondike region to pan for gold. Now, the men who were coming here, they were coming to build their fortunes, to build their legacy by panning and probably mining for gold. And then the smart people followed right after them and said, all of those idiots who are going out there to find this like city of gold or whatever that they think is out there, um, I'm going to sell them liquor and opium and set up gambling halls and brothels. And that's how those folks profited off of the gold rush, which if you ask me, 
That's the way to do it, right? Don't go looking for gold. Sell things to the men looking for gold, okay? So anyway, in 1897-ish, we have all of this happening and all these local eager beavers were like, you know what, let's go ahead and just rebuild the underground a little bit. Uh, let's put some shops in there, put some lobbies in there, some storefronts, all that fun stuff. And eventually that would be like the basement, but they didn't really care, right? All these people were coming, they had demand, so they created the supply. So all of that was going on for about 10 years until 1907. And in 1907, unfortunately, the underground was condemned. Now, I saw on one of my sources that it was condemned because of something to do with the bubonic plague, but I don't really know because I didn't look into it any further than that. All I know is that in about 1907, it was condemned and people were no longer using the underground for the most part. Um, the reputable businesses started moving uptown and the seedier folks stayed in the Pioneer Square area. Now, an interesting little tidbit about the underground is that people lived in the underground too. And at the height, at the peak of the underground, uh, I don't know if this was for like society in general or for like speakeasies and opium dens, dens uh, but there were like 2,000 people living in the underground, right? That's kind of nuts. You live underground in Seattle. That's got to be cold as shit. So anyway, people were moving out of the area. The underground was kind of abandoned. Pioneer Square wasn't really like the place to be anymore. So it just kind of got forgotten about, you know, like Pioneer Square was just Pioneer Square. The underground became more of a myth than truth. And people just didn't really think about it all that much until 1954. And our friend Shirley Spidell encouraged her husband, Bill, who was a publicist, to get it restored. And Bill, being the legend that he is, says things like, quote, I can do anything Shirley makes up her mind I can do, end quote. So what did Bill do? He decided that, you know what, I'm going to do what my wife says, and I'm going to go ahead and figure out what's going on with Pioneer Square. How can we get it rebuilt or restored or whatever? So Bill did what any endlessly curious person would do, and he set about researching the history of Pioneer Square. And he started getting some merit for these rumors of this, like, a warren of underground tunnels that lie beneath Pioneer Square. So he started reaching out to, um, you know, newspapers and really anybody that he thought might have some authority on the veracity of these tales. And uh, he, he did find out that, yes, there is an underground and no, you probably maybe won't die if you go into it. Um, so he reached out to the Seattle Times newspaper. And he just was like, hey, what do you guys know about these so-called ruins under Pioneer Square? And like, can you go on a tour of it? Like, what's the deal here? So then the Seattle Times, in what was probably a very frustrating blunder 
for Bill at the time, uh, went ahead and printed an article about this and then directed all of the inquiries to Mr. Bill. Now, in the two days following the publishing of that article, Bill got something like 300 letters and phone calls from people who wanted to know about the underground. Can they go on a tour? When can I come? And he said in uh, one of my sources, he said something to the effect of it was so bad. And he was like, these people were not just like, hey, I want to go on a tour. And then they forgot about it. Like they were hounding him. And so he said that he would rather go out and find out more about this than sit in his office and take all this abuse. So that's what he did. So here's where I let you know that I'm going to be doing a lot of quoting from our friend Bill because uh, he just has a way with words. And I would really like to do him justice by giving you guys these quotes from the website. So he said, quote, the Seattle City Council had voted tops for topless go-go dancers because 25 protest letters were sent in. So I thought, what if I could get 300 letters sent in to the city council demanding an ordinance designating Pioneer Square an historical site? Visitors on the tour could sign petitions that would stop the ball and chain guys from knocking down more landmarks like the great old Seattle Hotel. End quote. So that's where the dancers come in, right? And we'll see them again through this. Now, I don't want to lie to you. I didn't exactly do like a bait and switch but unfortunately, the topless dancers will not be doing any topless dancing uh, in this story. They're just a catalyst, but they still played a role in it. So anyway, I'm going to quote one more time from our friend, Bill. He said, well, the news media kept whooping it up and it got so letters were coming in from as far away as Cairo, Egypt, not Illinois. Even the city council was impressed and took a tour of inspection. Not out of vulgar curiosity, mind you, but in the civic interest. I frankly told him that they were the hunk of meat hanging in the tree that I was jumping for, and if 25 letters could kill off topless dancers, 300 could get the neighborhood designated an historic district. So Bill goes on to say that, you know, they kind of like laughed at that and they're like, oh, haha, you're so funny, but then nothing happened, right? Until 1965. Now, in 1965, in May, the Junior Chamber of Commerce was holding a day called Know Your Seattle Day. And back when Bill started this grand adventure, people really didn't know jack shit about Seattle, even the people who lived there. So this was a really great opportunity for people to learn more about the city that they lived in. So then one of the council members is like, hey, you know what? You should do tours of the underground at like a dollar a head for this Know Your City Day. So they went ahead and set that up. So Bill and Shirley came to Pioneer Square Park that day to start their tours for a dollar a piece. And they found Pioneer Square Park absolutely freaking packed with people who wanted to go on a tour. So Bill and Shirley, being the amazing pioneers that they are, they went ahead and took 
500 people on tours of the underground that day. 500 people. The tours now, there's like 15 people on a tour. Like imagine taking 500 people on tours of the underground in a single day. They must have had laryngitis like nobody's friggin' business after that. I would not want to talk for a week. I'm already getting tired of talking and I've been recording this episode for like 40 minutes, maybe. But anyway, they went ahead and took people on tours of the underground and it was a huge hit. So they just kept on doing it, right? They're like, what's the harm? Nobody was stopping them from taking people on tours of the underground either. So they just continued to go. So then that really just kind of lit a fire under the politicians and the investors and the bankers and everybody who needed to green light Pioneer Square becoming an historic district. And finally, 16 years after the start of this journey for Bill and Shirley Spadell, in May of 1970, that's exactly what happened. Pioneer Square was called an historic district. So that is the fascinating story. And I would like to end with this very wonderful quote from Bill, who said, a lot of other people worked in making it possible, but all I can say is thank God for the go-go girls. I mean, what a legend, right? I told you I needed to quote that man because he just has a way with words. And I really, I get the feeling that he was a well-meaning curmudgeon and that's my kind of people, you know, like he's going to find a way to get Pioneer Square designated an historic district. It'll take him 16 years to do it. And he's going to do that all for the public and also so that he eventually can set up a tour company himself, but mostly for the public interest. And he's just going to be grumpy about it the whole time is how that seems to me. And that's amazing. I love that. What a gem. So anyway, that is the story of how topless dancers helped save Seattle's Pioneer Square. So if you made it this far in the episode, I just want to say thank you for sticking around as I blunder my way through my very first podcast. Generally, people don't let me talk for this long, so I wasn't really sure what to do with myself, hence all of the pauses and filler words. But if you made it this far, thank you so much. Please feel free to suggest anything that you would like to hear about. I love researching topics and I would love to share stories about things that interest you as well. And also feel free to subscribe. So thank you so much. Have a fantastic day, you curious little mind. And I will see you next time.